Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. And we'll be picking up our study again in Acts chapter 16. So if you would, agree with me in prayer. Father, we bow our heads before you this morning. We pause here as we go to the Word, and we recognize the importance of what we are doing here now. Lord, as we open your Word, and we hold it in our hands, Father, I pray that it would be real to us, Lord, the treasure that it is. Lord, give us a reverence for it, an appreciation of it. And through your Spirit today, Lord, teach us. Speak to us, Lord. Transform hearts and minds in the way that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can. No other book, no other words have the power to transform lives. And we thank you, Lord, that we've been blessed with that here this morning, and that we can come together freely and study it. May we be ever so mindful of how blessed and how fortunate we are. And Lord, I think this morning of all the different things that are happening here at Calvary Chapel, and I thank you for it, for the way you're moving and the way you're blessing. And Lord, remind us always that this is your ministry. No one else's. It's yours, Father. And may in all that we endeavor to do, may we bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray for Tyler this morning as he considers a pastoral role here in this church. And I pray that you would work in the hearts of each and every individual here, that we would be seeking you intentionally for every leader that you raise up, that the calling would be sure and confirmed, and that, Lord, that your will would be done and that you would bring people to that exact place that you desire for them to be, that we can all serve, Lord, knowing that we're right where you want us, Lord. So, Father, move in our midst here this morning, we ask. We pray for our children and all that's going on throughout this building, Lord. May the name of Jesus Christ be exalted, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11 for some quick review from last week. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So here we have Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke now together. We've got these four individuals who have now sailed from Troas, and they're making their way to Macedonia. If you remember, Paul had a vision. He had a vision of a man calling for help from Macedonia. And so here, they've made their way into the city of Philippi. This is the first missionary journey into Europe. This is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ making its way to the ends of the earth to transform hearts and minds. This is the great commission at work. If you recall from last week, Paul didn't intend to travel to Macedonia. There were two other places that he had attempted to go, other places that he wanted to be, but the Holy Spirit did not allow it. And this is often the case in missions work. Take our trip to Ethiopia, for example. We have it in our hearts. We have a vision to go to Ethiopia in summer of 2018. We have already begun the plans, and 
And we're preparing for that, and people are praying about going. And everything about that trip seems to make sense. It's going to be gospel-centered work to, in some ways, unreached people. Some are reached, but they need support or underprivileged. Whatever the case may be, there are a multitude of different jobs for us to do while we're there. Everything about it would suggest that this is God-ordained work. But between now and then, we need to continue to pray because the reality is the Holy Spirit may close that door. God could close that door. Through a number of different circumstances, He could make it known to us that that is not where I want you to go, and now is not the time for you to go there. And if we truly have hearts that desire to serve the Lord in this way, if we want to look at Paul and we want to say, man, I want to live a life like that, then if God were to close that door, our response to that should simply be, well, Lord, where else do you want us to go? We are ready. We are prepared. We are trained up. Where do you want us to go? And we're eagerly searching and seeking for what that open door is. That's what was happening here. Because those places that Paul wanted to go, others would go there. It wasn't that those cities would be left unreached. Others would go, but not Paul. God didn't want Paul going there. God has a specific plan and purpose for each and every individual. He has got a plan, and it's our responsibility to be regularly seeking him, to understand that, Lord, where do you want me to be? That we would be spirit-led and directed individuals, that we are always where the Lord wants us to be. Think about even introducing Tyler to you this morning. That is our intention. Now, granted, we've just put a spotlight on him. What if in two months from now, he says, nope, that's not it, or we collectively say, I don't think I'm feeling it. Some might be concerned in the age of the church today that, that we would offend, that somebody's feelings would be hurt. What I look at is I say, no, what we've done is we've confirmed God's calling. We've confirmed God's plan. Or we can confirm that, yeah, that wasn't it. God closed the door on that. And praise God that he did. Because now we know we're operating in line with his will, his plan, and his purpose. And so, as we see then, after some time in Philippi, it says many days, that Paul encounters this woman, Lydia. Lydia was a wealthy woman, a Jewish proselyte. It means that she believed and was worshiping the one true God of Israel, but she wasn't completely a Jew. And here he shares the gospel with her in a very conversational way. It wasn't that Paul was, was preaching. It was here along the riverside that he shared with her, and she accepted Jesus Christ. And this began the foundation of the church in Philippi. Paul had no intentions of going there, but he was following faithfully after the Lord, and he was used in a powerful way. And the same can be true of you and of me. As Christians, we can be used by God when we yield ourselves to him and to his plan. And rest assured, though, and here's now what we'll transition into, that whenever a mighty move of the Spirit is happening, we should expect and anticipate that the enemy is going to enter in to try and disrupt, to steal and to kill and to destroy. And no sooner were they there successfully sharing the gospel and seeing people saved that the enemy shows up. And it's interesting as we go through this here today, through chapter 16, that you know, in my own study time, what I saw in this week was first that the cultural issues that we seem to be facing today are not new. They're not new. I expect that you'll see throughout this some things that can be fairly familiar to us. And so it reminded me that the issues that we face today have been seen since the very beginning of time. What we also see is that Paul was living a life of faith. 
And we need to take encouragement from that to live our own life of faith, to see how he was unwavering in the face of persecution and great difficulties. And finally, what we'll see through the message today is that for every one of those problems, as similar as they may be to our issues that we face today, so is the solution, and it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ that is the solution to the problems we face. And so we see in verse 16, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Paul and the gang here, they were continuing to meet down by the riverside. This was a small church there. There wasn't even enough Jewish men, if you remember, to warrant a synagogue in the area. And so there was numerous Jewish women that were there, and they were meeting regularly by the riverside. We don't know at this point how many of them had become believers in Jesus Christ, but we know that Paul was continuing to go and pray with them where they had been meeting. And here they encounter this slave girl who was, as it said, possessed by a spirit of divination. Essentially, she was a fortune teller. She was a psychic, if I use our modern terms. But the word here suggests, the word of God, that she was under a true possession or influence. And so she wasn't just a fraud looking to take advantage of gullible people by you know, playing on their human behaviors and suggesting the most obvious things and people accepting that as somehow revealed truth. And this girl was a slave to this work. She was a slave both physically and spiritually. And her masters, it said, made great profit from her, a great deal of money. And in verse 17, this girl followed Paul and us, this is Luke writing, and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. So this was going on for some time. This wasn't that this girl just showed up one morning and was saying this. It was many days that she was following them around, announcing that these men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. This is kind of odd. And Paul here, it says, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Why this spirit set itself to follow Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, we don't know for sure. We see elsewhere in the Word where demons proclaim and testify to who Jesus is. And perhaps that was it. Or perhaps it was intended to draw such attention to them as to set up some type of downfall, some type of negative attention. Whatever the case may be, we don't necessarily know for sure. And if you look at this, it seems like, well, hey, you know, yeah, she's following around, but they're getting free advertisement here, right? It's not that what she's saying is wrong. She's proclaiming them to be the ones who are proclaiming the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they could have said, yep, she's right. Here you go, everybody, the truth of the gospel. So why was he so annoyed that this girl was proclaiming truth about them? If you remember in Mark chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it says, And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, him being Jesus, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. You see, the reality is here that Paul is no different than Jesus, and that he didn't want the marketing support of a demon. And when you say it that way, okay, I guess, you know, that makes sense. 
There's this commonly held belief in marketing or brand advancement of there's no such thing as bad publicity. Some of you have probably heard that before. Those with any discernment know that to be false. In this day and age especially, there can be bad publicity. We do need to be sensitive to who we may be associated with. And here's the thing. Demons, while they know the truth, we see within the Word that they even know who God is. The problem is they also tell lies. They also tell lies, and often we sadly fail to differentiate between the two. Paul did not want to be followed by the Spirit regardless of what they were saying. This was an evil spirit. Furthermore, he no doubt recognized that this poor young girl was under the influence of this spirit, enslaved to these masters. And so Paul, not just annoyed, I think that's actually a somewhat poor translation of the word, rather he was distressed over this, some of your translations may read. It was more than just being annoyed, he was burdened by this, and therefore he cast the demon out in the name of Jesus, and the girl was freed of this possession. And everyone celebrated that this poor girl was finally relieved of this, right? No. In verse 19 we read, But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Yes, sadly, no, they didn't rejoice over the fact that this girl was freed of this possession. We see that these men didn't rejoice at all over the healing, but rather they mourned over the loss of their profit. Just like our study of Revelation on Wednesday night, we were in chapter 18. Chapter 18 specifically deals with the economy of the world in the last days, the economy of Babylon. And as they see Babylon fall, the merchants throughout the world don't suddenly repent. They don't suddenly realize how they've been operating in air all along. They don't suddenly say, oh Lord, forgive us for what we've done. No, they mourn over the fact that they will have profit no longer. They mourn over the fact that no one's going to be coming to buy things from them anymore. This is still sadly true today in our own culture. Our culture as a whole, generally speaking, is still a slave to the almighty dollar. Even to the extent that we still, and some are naive to this, that we still victimize and enslave people over it. Take the pornography industry, for example, or human trafficking. Some of you hear human trafficking, and maybe you're not that in tune with that. Maybe you haven't heard much about that before. Do you know that the human trafficking business in the United States alone is a $9.9 billion industry? There's at least 100,000 miners being sold in America each year. A large portion, sadly, is right here in South Carolina, in Columbia. Why? Because of the convergence, the unique convergence of the interstate system in Columbia, that it makes it a major hub on the eastern seaboard. If you want, you can go check out palmettofamily.org. They just ran a special on that this week. And there's a ministry that we work with at Daybreak called Lighthouse for Life that is a local agency dealing with human trafficking right here in the greater Columbia area. These things are happening right now. And so as we look at this slave girl as she was referred to, it's easy for us to think about that time in that context and think, oh, how horrible that was. These very things are happening still today. 
And there are some out there who, like these men, they rise up when their business is threatened and they make all kinds of accusations as a way to protect their profit. And we see that happen here with these men as they began to make accusations of who these men were and how they were essentially operating illegally within that area, despite the fact that they had enslaved a girl and had been misusing her for some length of time. And it's interesting that these men decided to attack their Jewishness. Luke was a Gentile. Timothy was half-Jew, as we read in the previous chapter. Yet they saw this as an opportunity to exploit their religious and cultural background as a means of bringing the severest of punishment upon them. And their sights set specifically on Paul and Silas, who were full Jews here. They made claims of, of how they were teaching unlawful things and disrupting the city, not knowing that they were in fact Roman citizens. They sought to bring a strict punishment upon them. And of course, this is foolishness. And still true, we see these same things happen today. How often are we seeing where religious background and cultural background and race and everything else is being exploited to accomplish a a goal or to prove a point? And here we see in verse 22, then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and, and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received, verse 24, such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. It says the multitude rose up against them. It didn't take long for them to say, yeah, we've got to take these guys out. We've got to punish them for what they're doing. And where they were put, essentially, was the equivalent of a maximum security prison. The inner prison was the most secure place. Furthermore, they didn't just put them in there, but they locked their feet in stocks. And assuming that they were not Roman citizens, it says they laid many stripes on them. They beat them with rods. And from what we can understand here, it was very severe. We will read later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is where Paul speaks of the persecution that he endured, the physical torture that he often endured. I think he mentions that he was beat with rods three separate times. So this was severe. And it's even more surprising then in light of this to consider what it is that they are going through here, beaten by rods, thrown in prison. You know, I go, I know Ashton goes, we go and teach Bible studies sometimes in the jails in the area. And there's no jail that's good to be in. Okay, let's, let's make that clear. But there's certain privileges that are allowed for the incarcerated today. There's food, there's warmth, there's clothing. And when we think back to prisons of this time, I mean, this was dark, it was cold, it was wet, and they would be sitting on the stone floor. They've just nearly been beaten to death. They're sitting in this prison and their feet are locked in stocks, which means that they probably can't hardly move at all. Their legs are likely cramping up. They're trying to deal with the pain that they're experiencing from the beating that they've endured. And what is it that they do? Verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Midnight, severely beaten, damp, dark prison cell, legs cramping back, likely just covered in blood, and they're singing to God, praising God in such a way that even the prisoners, the others who were there, could hear them. Now, listen, I don't want to come down on us too hard today, and I say us because I include myself in this. 
But there are times when we wake up on the wrong side of the self-cooled Tempur-Pedic bed. And we're out of coffee cream, and so we put on Facebook what a bad day we're having. I mean, think about that. Put that in context, am I right? Let alone singing praises to God. I'm out of French vanilla. I'm going to have to pay to go through Dunkin' Donuts this morning. I didn't have time for that. It's sad, but it's true. And you know what? Here's the thing. Listen, you know what? Jesus cares about that. Jesus cares about you. Even in your silly little whining, even in my just poor perspective that I can have on so many days, Jesus is there. He cares. He ministers. He lifts us up. Through the power of His Spirit, He wants to encourage us and and walk alongside us in our walk of faith. But you know what He also wants and, and expects is that that faith begins to mature. And in order to get that maturity, sometimes we've got to gain perspective because the maturing of our faith would dictate that. And that through that, we would bring God glory. That through those trials, through those difficulties, our ability to navigate it with, with grace and with mercy, that we, would, that we would glorify God the way that they are here. You don't think they had an impact on the prisoners who were there listening to them, thinking these guys have lost it. This is the walk of faith. Christian. This is what we're seeing here with Paul. We benefit, yes, from learning the history of the church, from knowing what happened and how it was formed. But more than that, we see examples of faith that we are to emulate. Paul knows that he is to believe the promise of God. Paul knows that he was called to this. He was called for this. He was called for a purpose, and he's not going to let these things distract him from what it is that God desires to do in his life and through him. He, in light of his faith, will not flounder in unbelief when trials come. But rather, he will praise God through them, continuing to look forward to what God is going to do. In Romans chapter 4, verse 20, there's a portion there in Romans 4 about Abraham. Abraham, the great father of faith. You know, when Abraham received the promise that he would be the father of many nations, The Word says in Romans that he was dead, meaning that he was at that point, for all intents and purposes, unable to reproduce. He could have just entirely laughed it off, but he didn't. He believed. In verse 20, it says, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Here it is. It's midnight in this prison cell. And by the way, this contradicts the old adage that nothing good happens after midnight. This is largely true. Parents, stick to your guns there. But, but here we see something amazing happen after midnight. After a day that I would venture many, if not all of us, have never experienced. If someone here has experienced significant persecution in the physical sense as well, then I would love to know your story. But the reality is, and I'm not making light of anything that we've endured because God wouldn't make light of it, but as we consider what it is that they've gone through here, this should give us perspective. And they're praising God, not wavering in unbelief. And so that question, that inevitable question that must be asked of us is, is that you and your faith? Do you have that same mature faith? Do I have that same faith? In verse 26, we read, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. 
and the keeper of the prison awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Suddenly a great earthquake. And this is entirely supernatural here, this great earthquake that sets them free. Doors spring open, chains are loosed, and the jailer awakened, presumes that everyone is gone. Why wouldn't they be? Why wouldn't they all have fled and taken the opportunity? And because of that, there remains for him only one choice. So he thinks. One option in his mind. Because you see, under Roman law, a guard who lost a prisoner would be due that punishment that was upon the prisoner. And so in this situation, he thought, I'm done. Life is over. There is no hope for me. This jailer in complete despair, not wanting to face the shame and the punishment, thought it best to take his own life. And we don't know here with Paul if Paul was just, if it was discernment, if he knew enough about the law that he assumed that's what was going to happen. Or or perhaps he heard the jailer talking to himself, mumbling to himself, crying out, wondering what he was going to do. Whatever the case was, Paul cries out, do yourself no harm. We're here. And you see, it's interesting to me as I reinforce what I mentioned earlier that this week I couldn't help but see in this historical account so many of the same social and cultural issues that we face today. Those that we've already mentioned and now here, go back even to the beginning. We've got a wealthy woman who should have had it all together, yet she wasn't. She was unfulfilled and she needed Jesus. We had the slave girl who was literally sold for profit. Men who were concerned more about their profit and their money than they were a life a modern-day human trafficking situation. And then these men use race and religion to bring accusation against them. And then now we're sitting here, Paul and Silas, imprisoned, and we're confronted with a man so burdened and despairing that he sees suicide as his only way out, which is an epidemic that's facing our country today in proportions that we've not even known before. You people want to say that the Bible is no longer relevant. It's too outdated. Yet regardless of if you're looking in the mid-first century or the 21st century, the problems are the same, and so is the solution. And it's Jesus Christ. In verse 29, it says, Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. There are entire generations out there crying out, What must I do to be saved? The question, though, becomes who's answering their question? Who's giving them the answer? Because the reality is whether they recognize it or not, they want to be saved. They need to be saved. They know it. They know it from the the fabric of their being because who are they created by but God? Is it the church, though, that's answering their question? Is it the church that's rising up and saying, this is what you must do to be saved? Or is it the world? Is the answer coming from the Word of God, or is it coming from a psychology book? How can man answer man's question? How can man solve man's problem? Man can't. God can. And there are so many people, and there may be someone here this morning who is feeling like they can't endure the shame or the pain anymore, and they feel like their only option is to take their life. There are people in our community this morning Perhaps someone here who's been through this or is in this, who feels that there's no way out of the bondage that they're in. Someone's lording over them a secret, a debt, a promise that will 
never come and they're enslaved to it. There is a girl in Blythewood, South Carolina, and she's now been rescued from human trafficking. And it all started because she went to a party that her parents didn't know and someone took a picture of her. And from there, they said, I'm going to use this picture if you don't do this. And if you don't do this. And what all started with her fear of her parents finding out of something that, yes, she shouldn't have done it. But in reality, and especially from a parent's perspective, you'd say, oh my goodness, it's okay. We'll forgive you. That she ended up in two years being trafficked throughout the state of South Carolina because she felt she had no way out, no hope, no promise. And so it doesn't matter the specifics of the problem. What matters is the solution, and Jesus Christ is the solution. And are we conveying that solution to people? Are we sharing our stories? Are we obedient to the leading of the Spirit? You might be that person who at the very moment can cry out, Stop! Do no harm to yourself. I'm right here. It's okay. And it's interesting here, Paul said, Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your whole household. And that's interesting. And we're not going to go too far into this. What I want you to know is this doesn't teach that because dad gets saved, everyone's saved. This doesn't teach the idea of infant baptism. We don't see that supported here, though many want to use this as a way to support that because here the family is later baptized. What this shows us here, what we need to look to, what this should give us hope for today is still the influence of a believer in the family. Some of you come from broken homes, lineage, of bad decisions. And this gives hope for the breaking of that cycle. Men to be the leaders of your home, to make Christ the priority in many respects is to save your household, is to set your household, your family on a path towards salvation and reconciliation in Jesus Christ. Now, each individual must make their own decision that we are each accountable to repentance of our own sins and belief in Jesus Christ. But this is a promise within the Word of God that some can lay hold of, that some can look to and say, and there's been times before where people have said, God showed me this, and He showed me that if I were to follow Him faithfully, that He would save my family. Some have testified to what God has done in their families by them believing on this verse here. What's lacking in our culture today are parents, men, fathers who are willing to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Imagine, imagine the rejoicing that happened in that household that night. No doubt as he came home and shared with his family what had happened, conveyed to his wife that I was, I was going to take my own life. I was going to kill myself. I didn't have any other hope. It just described this, this miraculous event that had unfolded. Testified to his family. As Paul, it says that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the household. Amazing things happened. This is an example to the family of the transformative work of the gospel. This is what the gospel can accomplish. This is what the gospel can achieve. And then we see here just the, the immediate transformation in this man who was once a jailer, just hours before, sitting outside this cell, is now taking them and feeding them and washing their wounds. And when it was day in verse 35, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. 
But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. Paul had held this back till a convenient time. Oh, hey, by the way, see the magistrates foolishly and hastily punished these men, not knowing they were Roman citizens. And no doubt here, they're hoping to just make it go away. Nothing like that happens in our government today, right? Mm -mm. It's all transparent, upfront and honest. You see, there's nothing new under the sun, Christian. There's nothing new under the sun. It's the same things happening over and over and over again. And Paul says, not so fast. You're not just going to sweep this thing under the rug. He tells them to come do it themselves. And the officers, verse 38, told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. There's wisdom, no doubt, here on Paul's part, especially as he's considering we're going to leave, and we want this Philippian church to be established. No doubt there was less of an effort on the part of the magistrates to try and shut down what was going on there in that small little church at this time that would eventually grow because, hey, I don't want any more. I don't want any more trouble. We won't speak about this. They came to an agreement. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. So here now they go to Lydia's house. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. What a testimony on the part of Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy. And it's likely that perhaps Luke and Timothy or Timothy at least stays behind for a time here as as Paul and Silas move on. And through all of this, they wanted to encourage them in their faith. I want you to consider here what unfolded in Philippi. Once again, Lydia, the wealthy businesswoman who was attending church and was saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ through a riverside conversation. A young girl enslaved spiritually and physically was set free in the name of Jesus. The jailer, having likely seen the worst in men, fearing punishment and shame at the point of despair, ready to take his own life, was radically saved and believed on the name of Jesus. You see, this is such a wonderful picture of the church. They didn't all look the same. They didn't come from the same background. They didn't have the same experiences. All different. Except for one thing. The reality that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That that in a world perhaps more divided than ever before, that on this morning we can be reminded that we have a common bond, the great equalizer that is our needing and knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pause and we thank you once again for your word and what you show us through it. And that this morning, Lord, we can see here that that no matter if it was a couple thousand years ago, Lord, that, that this problems, Lord, the difficulties, the challenges are so similar and so sad and so concerning, Lord. And I know that there's likely someone here today that maybe they're not facing one of these exact circumstances, but perhaps they're lost. Perhaps they're wand- they've wandered away. Maybe they've never truly known you as Lord. Because as we consider that and we consider the the challenges and the circumstances and everything that we face, what remains true as well is the solution, and that's the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
And so if there's any of you here this morning that, that for what, it, it's between you and the Lord exactly what it is that's going on in your life. But if you're here today and you know you need Jesus in your life, then I'd ask you to just pray along with me and, and say, Heavenly Father, I am sorry and I ask forgiveness for my sins. And I invite Jesus Christ into my heart and into my life. And I pray, Lord, do with me as you will. Heal me, Lord. Restore me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus Christ that I might today walk in newness of life. Father, do that work, I pray, and whoever that may be who's here today. And for each of us, Lord, remind us of the power that's in the name of Jesus Christ. And that no matter what's happening in our world today, Lord, that we can look to you and know that our redemption draweth nigh. There will quickly come a day when you return for your church. And may we, Lord, be found walking with you in that time, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.